Today on the Tough Juice Podcast, we had none other than one of my closest friends in the NBA, one of my best teammates, Dwayne Wade, future Hall of Famer, first ballot, and we talked about many things. Playing with the Los Angeles Lakers, why he did not send his retirement papers in, is he coming back, could he play with them? I think he's exactly what they're missing. Stay tuned on this episode of the Tough Juice Podcast, and we also talked about him being a case study at the Harvard Business School. Shout out to Miss Anita for making that happen. How surreal is that for him to have that moment? And also his son's Zaire following to his footsteps. And him being a father, how important fatherhood is to him. Subscribe to the Tough Juice Podcast on the Himalaya app or wherever you listen to your pods. Hey, you got to talk to me about like... That beginning, what we were just talking about, like AAU and that whole process and then what you were seeing also every day, just, you know, in your everyday surroundings. What was that like? AAU. I'm going to tell you my Karan Butler AAU story. Oh, I, don't know, I don't know if I ever told you. So we're about to play y'all and Larry Butler calls a team meeting <laughs> in a hotel room where we play y'all, right? And he started giving us a story about, like, Karan Butler's a man. Like, he didn't been to jail. <laughs> Putting all my minutes out there. You putting all your minutes out. Now, 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 I'm so now I'm listening to the story, and like you know, it was rumors of where you went to jail. You know, everybody got their own stories. I ain't gonna say what he said, but it was scared the fuck out of me. I was like, wait, so he went to jail for that, and we about to play him tonight. So he active. So we go out there, right? We play you guys, and you got one of the deepest voices I've ever heard in high school. And I think I like bumped into you. You was like, hey. Watch out, young fella. I was like, shit, yes, sir, Mr. Butler. <laughs> I was scared of hell to foul you. Now, nah, Butler scared the hell out of us, man. But it was, um, AU, AU was fun. That was my, my only year. I played one year at AU. That's yeah. it. I played one year. And I remember, like, Larry Butler came to my house and, you know, asked me to, to join the Illinois Warriors. And I was like, listen, man, we don't have the money, you know, for me to travel. You know what I mean? Like, my, my, my family can't pay for hotels and flights and food and all those things. So as much as I would love to play, like, I can't, you know? And um, then he came back, like, a week later, and he was like, hey, all I need you to do is bring some food, you know, bring some money for food, you know, on a trip. I did that maybe once every three trips or whatever. And um, But it was a great experience for me, you know, like, to get out there and get, like, exposure from colleges to play against some of the best players that I've never heard of. It ain't like today where you hear about all the guys socially. Early. I never heard of Karan Butler until yeah. that meeting when he was like, hey, he went to jail. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so it was a great experience for me, man, to get that, you know? Yeah. Talk about that. Uh, just, was you heavily recruited? No. Off top? No. Like, people always, because right now, especially in society, you see this instant success. Mm-hmm. And I always tell folks, I, I had Brittany on earlier, and I said, it took me, in my eyes, it took me 26 years to be an overnight success. Mm. So how long did it take you to, you know, get rejected and then overcome and rejected again and overcome? Like, <laughs> what was that process like? I mean, I don't even know if it was rejection more so than it just wasn't, you know, no one looking at me. Yeah. You know, I went to, um, uh, I went to uh, Richard, Harold L. Richards High School. And it was a small school. Like, no one comes to the south suburbs in Oakland, Illinois, to find the next... Whatever. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? So I never... Like, I got a few letters from schools, but until I played AAU, I really didn't get no, no, no real love. So 
But even after that, you know, I was having trouble passing my ACT. And I felt like even schools that may have been interested in my basketball abilities was like, no, he ain't that good. Well, we about to deal with this. So I literally had Illinois State. I had Marquette. And I had Bradley. And DePaul was a little iffy. DePaul recruited me, I think, because I was a Chicago kid. And maybe they had to a little bit. But I didn't feel real to me. So I had three and a half scholarship offers. And that was it. So what was the teams again? DePaul? DePaul. Half of DePaul. Half of DePaul. Illinois State, <laughs> which Illinois, Illinois State, like the, the head coach, um, Tom Richardson, um, he was great. He was amazing. I actually, I actually thought I was going to Illinois State. Uh, Marquette, Tom Crean was the first-year coach at Marquette coming from Michigan State. And Bradley, which I never took a visit to Bradley. They just they offered me. Um, so that was it. That's all I had to pick from. Yeah, I, see, the reason I ask that is because when I look back at some of the basketball stories and the biggest what ifs, you just said you possibly could have went to Illinois State. That means somebody was really doing their due diligence on scouting talent and surveying the landscape of the land to be like, you know what, this dude could really be good one day. Yeah. Did you feel that? Um, did I feel I could be good? Did you, did, yeah. Did you always feel like you can? play at a high level or did yeah. you just think you wasn't be like some you know decent no I you know I always knew that I, I could it was just in the high school that I went to you know it just wasn't that kind of high level competition I dominated the competition that I played with but that's that's all I had you know what I mean I didn't go to Whitney Young where we was able to play schools from all over I went to a school in the south suburbs and the reason I went because my brother was there my brother was a star player yeah. you know, my older brother Demetrius and I wanted to follow in his footsteps. I wasn't thinking about college necessarily, right? My dream was to play in the NBA, but you missed that college. I wasn't like, oh, I want to go to, you know, uh, to, like I had, like I love the Fat Five and I love Michigan. But for me, they was like an NBA team. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like already. I was, already. So I was like, oh, yeah, I would love to go to Michigan. But that was like, that's like I would love to go to the NBA. It didn't feel real. You know, man, college didn't feel real to me. So when I started getting recruited and I started understanding what that next level was about, I actually started getting a little more concerned in my senior year because, I mean, my junior year, because I was like, wait, hold on. Like, I do need to go. I need to go there to get there. Yeah. Right? And even part of it. It's a part of it. But when you're growing up in the hood, no one, like, no one, like, that wasn't a part of my vision. It was the Chicago Bulls was my vision. Michael Jordan, Scotty, that's what I want to do. See the banners. That's all you do. No one will tell you about the process that takes. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I, I end up having some great coaches along the way to kind of help me open my eyes of, um, you know, of that vision, of oh, that no. journey. But I think at first when I was, when I was just in high school, it was just like, man, I'm a, everybody think they're going to make it to the pros. Yeah. I was the same way. I'm like, I'll make it to the pros. How the hell am I going to get there? I don't really, I didn't know how I was going to get there. I just knew I wanted to make it. I wanted to go to the pros. Yeah. So when you, when you end up going to Marquette, you end up sitting out. I had to sit out my first year because I was academically ineligible. Yeah, I didn't pass the ACT. Okay. And I tried like three or four times. It just wasn't my thing. Yeah. I like I, I couldn't even put scores together to make it work. <laughs> it <laughs> like was... you know, you could take a score from this test and take it. It didn't even matter. You could put it all of them together. Up, nothing, just, nah, like, it wasn't my thing. Out. It wasn't my thing. So. And the, the cool thing about that, like my, like, my brother had the same issue, and he went to junior college. Okay. So when I was going through that process and I was struggling to pass ACT, uh, Coach Cream was actually the only one to come in the house on a meeting and say, hey, we want you at Marquette. Even if you don't pass the test, we want you to be a part of, you know, what we're doing. And that meant a lot to me, you know, at that time, because um, I knew a lot of people probably wasn't 
looking at me because of my struggles with this test. So when he came in and said that, man, they kind of like opened my eyes to like immediately, I was like, oh, I know where I'm going. I'm going where I want it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it was easy. Like for me, it was an easy decision because I felt Marquette wanted me from day one. No matter, you know, no matter what I, whatever, whatever baggage I was coming with, they wanted me there. So it was an easy decision for me. My, my experience was kind of similar to that. When I went to prep school, I had to take the, the SAT and the ACT. Mm. The ACT was more of a Midwest thing. Yeah. So I was I was taking it and I I did really high, and it didn't it didn't equate to what my GPA was only because I had a low GPA because I was incarcerated for eighteen months. Mm-hmm. So they literally had me come and take the test in front of like a panel because like a, they didn't believe I took that test. Oh. Okay. And, that makes and, sense. And, and, that and makes I, sense though. And I got a higher score, but like I was just like, dang, like it's so crazy because they felt like somebody took that placement test for me. That is sick. Yeah, that's crazy. That's next level. But, that, but the, I've heard that story multiple times with with you know kids that come from the inner city that, you know, when like I said, when I first went to school, you just going to school. I, I didn't have a plan like, hey, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this to get there. I just was going to class. Yeah. And not you know my friends not taking it serious. I'm not taking it serious. You know what I mean? Like. I'm cool with C's. C's yeah. is passing to me. Just getting by. Right. Until it got to the point where my, you know, my high school coach said out on me my junior year. It was like, hey, what do you want to do? You know what I mean? Like, and so my assistant coach actually in high school, his name was Gary Adams. Actually, one day out of the practice, he said, Hey, you know, I want you to come with me. And he was like, I was like, well, can we get some food? Because <laughs> that's all I cared about was eating. Like yeah. we ain't have, you know, we ain't have a lot. So I'm like, is it any food in this trip where we going? <laughs> and he was like, Yeah, we'll get something to eat. And we drove up to Marquette. Never heard of Marquette before. This was before they even started recruiting me. Drove up to Marquette. It was a Marquette versus Wisconsin game. Oh, that's a big game. Right? It was a big game. So I got a chance to be in there and feel that environment. And, like, looking around, I'm like, oh, man, this is dope. Like, this is this is right up the street from the crib. And that was my first initial, like, interaction with college sports. I never watched it like that. I never really knew a lot about it. And, and for me, sitting there... I remember watching Cordell, Henry, and Brian Wardle and those guys down there. And I'm just like, dang. But they sucked, though. Marquette, I think they had like 10 points at halftime. They sucked. But I was looking at that, you know what I mean? Like, that was the first time that the vision became clear that this is, like, I want to do this. And then when Marquette started recruiting me, it all started coming back that that was my first experience to understand what college basketball was all about. What did you do in that downtime when you set out that year? Um, Did you still travel? No, I couldn't travel. So you academically ineligible, um, they call it a Prop 48. Okay. So I can practice with the team. I can eat with the team. I can do everything with the team. I can't travel, and I can't play in games. So home games was cool because I was able to be around the team, be in the locker room with the guys, be on the bench with the guys. But traveling sucked because we practice together, we do all this together, and then they get on the bus and they get on the plane and they leave, and I got to walk back to my dorm. You know what I mean? It was many days where I, I had tears in my eyes walking back to my dorm as my team was on a bus headed to the plane to go play, you know, in, in, in New Orleans to go, you know, go play Tulsa or Tulane or wherever they was going. It was just, it was, like, I didn't know. I'm a kid from that was plucked out of NC Chicago, and now I'm on this university. I'm in this university where it's not a lot of uh, black kids yeah. um, unless they're on a basketball team. And I don't know nobody really in the school, so I'm, like, alone. And it was a lot of times I was like, man, I'm ready to go. But then I started thinking, like, well, where am I going? Like, if I leave, where am I going? <laughs> where am back I going? To this I'm going back shit. to it. Yeah. 
So I really was stuck because it was like, you know, and it was tough. It was, it was hard on me at my, at the time, my mom wasn't around, you know, my mom was incarcerated. My dad was, you know, dealing with his own life and, and I didn't, I was, I kind of felt alone. Like for the first time in my life, I really felt alone. And that started my, you know, my journey to doing other things. You know what I mean? From the standpoint of I had a kid early, you know, I got married early. There's a lot of things that I did because, you know, I felt so alone that I wanted family around and I created my own family at a very young age. That's you know? deep. And I think a lot of it was because of, you know, that feeling of feeling alone. Yeah. The new year is all about growth and change. Here on the Tough Juice podcast, we always talk about evolving and being the best version of you. We had some unbelievable guests ranging from Master P, Sammy Jinks, Carrie Champion, Kristen Leahy, J- Jamel Hill, and so many more where they talk about planting the right seeds, watching their harvest grow, pulling back the layers of functional growth. And if you're a business owner looking for your business, LinkedIn can help you find the right hires that can set you up for a strong year in numerous ways. And you're always trying to add assets to your brand and your organization. So this is a great platform to do that. LinkedIn job screen candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for. So you can hire the right person fast. Things like collaborations, creativity, adaptability, uh, LinkedIn looks beyond the work skill and put your job post in front of qualified candidates uh, who match your business requirements perfectly. That's how LinkedIn makes sure your job post is seen by the people that you want to hire. People with the skill and qualifications and other interests that will help your business grow. It's no wonder a person is hired every eight seconds with LinkedIn. And while companies rated LinkedIn jobs the number one hiring platform delivering quality hires. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash toughjuice. Again, that's linkedin.com slash toughjuice to get your first $50 off your first post. Terms and conditions apply. So during that whole process, you had no mentors, nobody to lean on whatsoever? Really? I had Coach Green. Coach Green. Coach Green was big in that process. I had another guy. Um, <clears throat> his name was Marty. Um, you know, Marty was from the inner city. He coached the AU program in, in um, Wisconsin. <clears throat> and we got pretty close and pretty tight. Uh, but outside of that, like, I really didn't. You know, like, it wasn't like, like, even like my AU coach, like Larry Butler, we really wasn't, <clears throat> I wasn't a star player and I wasn't like a focal point. So I, I always felt like even with LB, who I thought, you know, we, we should have had a good, better relationship with, we didn't really have a, gr- a great relationship, you know what I mean? Because once I went off, I kind of was forgotten about. Once I went to college and I wasn't playing, yeah, you know, I got forgotten about for a little while. And it was, like I said, it was just a lonely, dark place, you know? And every time I was like, I, first of all, these classes, I'm going to theology. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> what is that? I'm like, you know, I'm like, come on, man, I'm going to theology. I don't know what the hell I'm, what's going on in here. Um, uh, you know, I, I go to school and I'm like, man, I want to I want to major in business. One day I want to be a businessman. And they was like, well, you got to take calculus. You got to. I was like, wait, hold on. OK, that's- hold on. I'm, I was in pre-algebra. I don't, <laughs> I don't that's know. Too much. Too much. So think about it, man. Young kid out there, you know, without his parents, really, um, you know, just trying to figure life out. And the only thing I had to really make me feel confident was basketball. Right. And basketball was taken from me because I couldn't pass a, a ACT test. So. 
it was it was a dark time, you know. It was your therapy for years. So all of a sudden, fast forward, you get your your opportunity to finally play. What was going through like your head, the emotions? What was you feeling at the time, and what was your expectations going into the season? Well, a lot of people like a lot of people ask me the question about like when did I know I can go to the when did I know I could play in the NBA level, right? I think I really realized that after my first year and I wasn't even playing yet. And the reason I, I thought I could is because I was dominating practices, right? I was I looked around and said, well, I'm better than, you know, talent-wise, I'm more talented than anyone's here. And these guys are seniors or juniors or whatever. So I was like, man, I think I could play. The, like, I think I got a chance. You know, and, and Coach Crean did a great job of every time a coach came in town to play the Bucks, they'd come over to our practice, he'd pull me to the side, have conversations with me, about what it takes at that next level. Like he did a good job of keeping me engaged. Already. Already, because he's seen something in me as well. So the second year come, man, and I remember my, the, uh, our team that year didn't make it to the tournament after my, fr- my freshman year, and they got invited to the NIT. And I remember Coach having a meeting with the team, and he declined going to the NIT tournament. And I remember being so happy, because that means that that season was over, and now it was my time, right? It was my turn. And I was just, you know, I was just, I was just a kid in the candy store, just waiting to get my opportunity to go out here and show everybody like what I'm made of and what I'm built of, right? And I remember my first preseason game, just being like nervous, of course, yep. being excited. And I remember getting out there and I, I had like 30 points and, you know, I did the whole, I was dunking and being excited. And like, we, we, we didn't have a big fan base in Marquette at the time, but like the fans that was there was like, you know, it was, it was surprising that like, this guy that they heard about for a year was really what they heard about, like that I was really that good. And it was my first game. And like once I walked away from that first preseason game and I had 30, I'm like, wait, hold on. Oh, I can do this. Like this is what I do. Yeah. You know, it's like I started feeling I'm built confident. For this. And it was just preseason. Yeah. But I needed that, that first game to make me feel like I belong, you know, here. And then from there, man, I just kept going. Yeah. Well, there's a special feeling I know your mom was able to be released and finally attend one of the games. Yeah. What year was that for you? Uh, uh, that was that was my last year. Your last year. That was my my so my second year playing was my junior year. Yeah. Um, that was her first time getting a chance to meet Zaire. Did you know she was coming? I knew she was coming. We okay. were trying to get her to come, but she just got out of jail. Probably, I mean, within a week oh, of wow. like one of my last games um, at Marquette before the NCAA tournament started so we really was working it was like conference championship big game we really worked hard to get her to come and her probation officer allowed her to which i don't know if he had the right to or not but (laughs) his last name was wade i remember that i remember like just how things worked out and he allowed her to come and see me play how powerful was that for you bro i would i've never been that nervous in my life yeah you know i mean people gotta understand this my mom she really didn't get a chance to see me play basketball in person really ever she might have been able to come to one high school game. She never got a chance to come to see my college game, you know, until that one game. So she never really seen me play and didn't really know how good I was. We wrote back and forth a lot, and I was telling her, like, Mom, like, like I'm pretty good. Yeah. You know, but. I'm nice. Right. I'm like, Mom, <laughs> like, they talking about the NBA. And um, so just having her there, I remember, you know, coming back from shoot around and, you know, my mom coming to the apartment that I had. And just her first time being able to meet her grandson, you know, hug Zaire, love on Zaire. And, you know, I just remember her being in the stands when that game. We was playing Cincinnati. It's a big game at home to win the conference championship. And I balled out. 
Yeah. And it felt great. It was special. Oh, it was special. I remember I seen it on all the ESPN clips and everything, and I was just like, damn. I was like, he going to be all right. Like, he on his way. Yeah. Yeah. So now you got that momentum behind you, your family coming together, everything's happening for you in real time. And then you go to the Final Four, triple doubles, all that stuff. Was it difficult after being eliminated out of the NCAA tournament to make the decision to go pro? No. It wasn't it wasn't tough. Hell no. Cause you obviously you knew what the other side looked like, but like did you know what you was leaving? Like did you want to leave college or did you enjoy the experience enough to be like, you know what? Maybe one more year? Well, I had about I had one moment where I thought about coming back. After we lost in the final four, coach made us stay and watch the finals. So we watched Syracuse um play um Texas? Wait, who did they play? No, Kansas, I'm sorry. Syracuse, Kansas, Carmelo yeah. Anthony's year that he won the championship. And we sat there, and I'm watching the, the national championship, and I watched Melo no win, and I'm like, dang, I want that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that was that quickly left. Quickly that, left. Immediately. No, immediately. Like, I would, like, after my first year playing, I was actually going to enter the draft. The only reason I didn't enter the draft, I had to have knee surgery. Oh, I wow. tore my meniscus throughout in the 10th game of my first year playing. And I played throughout the whole year, but I had to have surgery when the season was over. So that took me away from ending the drive, but I was going to do it then. And I remember this, though. So now I'm feeling myself a little bit right around the school. Like, I can enter the draft, um, and I haven't had surgery yet, right? So I'm feeling myself, and the coaches still do what they do. They come and check out classes at 8 in the morning and all that, right? So one class, I show up about 30 seconds late, all the coaches there. When I get there, it's like three coaches waiting at the class. And they was like, you know, marked it down as D-Wade was 30 seconds late for class. So once we get back, once I get done with class, we get to the gym, and Crean ain't there. We get to the gym. This was after my first year. And we had to run. The whole team had to run because I was 30 seconds late for class. Oh, damn. So now, I mean, they running us. Like, they running the snout out of our nose. Like, you know, we doing, you know that drill where you do like 13, 11. Yeah. So we doing that. I just stopped. Fuck this. I'm out of here. I'm going to the NBA. I'm not dealing with this shit. Like, I was feeling myself, right? So I left, walked out. They called Coach Cream. Coach Cream flew back that night, got back, got into Milwaukee about 2 in the morning. Came down, they knocked on my door. It was like, yo, Coach wants you at the office. I'm scared as hell. Right? Wow. Coach called. I got down in the office. Coach had that look on his face like he was ready to get, he was ready to get in my ass. And we had, like, we had an argument, screaming, yelling back and forth. I, it was like a point where I felt like I was growing up and I was a man now. You're not going to tell me what I can and cannot do. But what he pretty much said out of all that was, you're not good enough to go to the next level. You're not ready. I ain't talking about just basketball, but mentally, you're not ready. You're still a kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, that next world will eat you up if you're not mentally prepared and ready for that next, you know, that next level. And what we talked about, he was like, but next year, if you have the year that I think you can have and you a lottery pick, because you didn't come here to be late first round, you came here to be a lottery pick, if you're a lottery pick, then I shake your hand and I help you pack your bags. So my whole mindset was, oh, I'm out of here. I'm, and it wasn't because my experience was bad. I had a, I had a wife, I had a son. You go on that, you on that 200, you on that what, 110 dollars every <laughs> every two weeks in yeah. college. That's, that's not, it's not working for me. My kids, my son got to eat. Yeah. My wife got to eat. You Just know, get a Pell Grant. Right. So. I, I knew that I, I knew that I, I was leaving. I just didn't know how, or, you know, where I was, you know, how people was going to perceive me. But I knew no matter what, after that season, I had to go. Like, I needed to go make some money for my family. Yeah. So fast forward to the draft process. 
and the teams that was available in the top ten, I, I forget five on out. But when you're looking at it, what team did you think you was going to? Chicago Bulls. You thought you was going to Chicago? I did. It was just like it was the perfect it storm. It made the most sense. It made the most sense. Unfortunately, Jay Will had just got into the accident. Yeah. Um, and they was in need of a guard. It was my hometown. Uh, I had an amazing workout in Chicago. I had an amazing second workout in Chicago. All the talk was about them drafting me. So, you know, my, now they the seven, they had the seven pick. So I'm like, damn, I can go seven? Like, you know, this is crazy. Like, I come from a small school and, and, and work my way up to the point where I'm like, I can go seven. This is bananas. So I go into the whole draft process not knowing where I'm going because they never said, hey, we picking you at seven. So I went in, and the, the, the talk was, hey, Dwayne Wade can get picked fourth to Toronto, or he can get picked 20th. We don't really know. So I really had an uncertainty where I was going, but I did feel like Chicago would be, they would draft me. So I was kind of sitting back, chilling, like, seven pick, I'm good. Yeah. And I felt like I knew what the first four picks was going to be. I knew LeBron was going one. I knew Darko was going two. I knew Melo was going three. And I knew, felt like I knew Chris Bosh was going to go four. So I felt like the draft started at the fifth pick. So after Chris Bosh went and we had the same age, I'm like, yeah, boy, I, you know, see you in the back. I'll be there in a little while. Here I come. (laughs) Here I come. I didn't think I was going right away. So my agent, Henry Thomas, come over after he leaves Chris' table and come to my table and sit right next to me. And I'm sitting there looking around like, all right, who going to the Miami at five, though? (laughs) And he was like, uh, whispered in my ear, he said, hey, I just got a call from, uh, you know, from the Heat. They about to pick you at five. I was like, you know, my body just, everything just went numb. I'm like, what? And it happened. And my whole life changes. <laughs> the handshake on, my whole life is different. Do you think that was the best thing that probably happened to 100%. you for you, for your career? Why? Well, from a basketball standpoint, getting drafted to Miami, just to, you know, as you know, the, the accountability yeah. that's in Miami. You know, and it was very similar to what I what I become used to in my life. My dad was my first coach. My high school coach was tough as nails. My college coach, Tom Crean, was tough as nails. So Pat Riley being the coach was just like, this is just, this is how it's supposed to be. But the Miami life wasn't good for me. I've never, I come from a small city in Chicago. I went to school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And now I'm in this world of Miami where I've never seen nothing like this in my life. Right? I see, like, I always say, like, I see people walking their dogs and they got outfits on. And I'm like... (laughs) What the heck? Shades and all. <laughs> Miami, different. Was, Miami was so different, dog. And like, so it, from off the court, I didn't know how to navigate myself. No. But on the court, it was perfect. It's a perfect storm for me because of the accountability of you know what Pat Riley has, you know, set forth for the Miami Heat organization. And, and period, you know. So, yeah. He always was the ultimate. Uh, mentor for you though, right? Ralph. I know I know y'all probably had like bumped heads or whatever numerous occasions, but whatever the case may be, that's part of the love. Yeah. But just talk about the relationship with you and Pat Riley. Yeah, man, I, I looked at Pat as a father figure. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, first of all, the man he drafted me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he gave you that blessing. He gave me that blessing. He changed my life. Yeah. And you know, and and he you know, it's Pat Riley. Yeah. <laughs> This is the GOAT. Yeah, just the godfather this of the godfather. game, man. And he has so much knowledge, and he gave you so much of it. You know, he was never selfish with his knowledge. And I spent a lot of time in his office because, one, he seen something in me, you know, very early that I, that I would, you know, I could become a game changer for 
this organization. I think he's seen it in me before I did. And he, he you know, he, he kind of gave me a lot of knowledge about that. So I, I like my relationship with him was like, I love that guy. Like, you know, I don't tell a lot of dudes, that, a lot of men at that time, young, that I love him. But every time I left his office, I'll say, I love you. Because I felt like, you know, there's somebody who got me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He got me. And 100%. even when I went through stuff in my personal life, I felt like they covered me, they got me, they held me down. So, um, you know, that was our relationship, you know, especially early on. Yeah. Fast forward through all the years with you with the Miami Heat, you go to Chicago, spent a little tenure in, in, in Cleveland, back to Miami. This That journey, what are some of the memorable moments in that process? Well, I think what you remember most about, you know, man, what you remember most about your, your NBA journey is it's not what most people think it is. Yeah. Most people think it's the championships or the all-star games. and But what it is, it's the relationships that you build along the way. Real. It's the conversations that you've had. It's the locker room experiences. It's the plane rides. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and I always talk about the people and the things that help me become who you see today, you know, and. And you know, I, it's two people I talk about from my rookie years, you and L.O., right? Just made a big impact on my life in two different ways. And a lot of things that I still carry today from my conference, I mean, I'll never forget the first time you came and got me out of my room to go eat dinner and um, when you had to play summer league because of me. Yeah. <laughs> and you were pissed. <laughs> I was trying to sit out as much as possible, you, bro. They but said, they wanted us they to get that. Gotta... They wanted us to get that continuity. Yeah. And I remember you taking me to my first dinner and sitting down and giving me the game, yep. giving me the game. Hey, you know, this is what's going to make you a successful person in this league. And it wasn't about scoring and pass. It was about, do these are the things you need to do in the organization. This is how you need to carry yourself. And I wouldn't, and I never forgot that. And I always, and I not, not only did I do it, I passed that down to other people of this is how you should carry yourself. This is what my veteran, my young vet told yeah, me. Yeah, man. Um, so along this journey, man, you, so many people that, you know, became important and like, big in, in your life decisions and how you decided to be that our that I thought about more than anything, you know, especially when I got traded back to Miami. You know, when I got traded back there, it was like, okay, everything has now come full circle for me. This is where I needed to end my career. And I was when I that year I got traded back, I was ready for that to be it. Yeah. I was ready for that to be it for me. So immediately when you went back to Miami, you was like, I'm going back here to retire or someday I will retire. You know, it wasn't, it's nothing I thought about. It's just something I felt. Yeah. You know, my in my last couple, my last month and a month and a half in Cleveland was tough. My, I lost someone, I lost my agent, Henry Thomas, Remember that was that? very, I never lost nobody this close to me before. Yeah. And I lost a piece of me, especially even my love of the game. That was something that we shared that was just like, I love basketball. And at that moment when I lost Hank, I lost a piece of my love of the game. And and I and, and I remember going back to Cleveland after that, and I just didn't want to, I didn't want to play basketball no more. You know, like I just didn't want to be there. And when I got traded back to Miami, it was like, and how everything happened to get that trade back to Miami. Like I didn't speak to Riles until Hank's celebration of his life. Yeah. Hank and, you know, I mean, Riles and the Heat guys came down. And we had a moment where we had a conversation. And mind you, we didn't have a conversation in, into that moment. So wow. I was still in my feelings. I'm sure he still felt the way. And I remember sitting there, my business manager telling me at his, after the celebration of Hank's life was over, he was like, go talk to Riles. I'm like, man, I ain't talking to Riles. Fuck Riles. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> no, for real. And I was over there, like, doing everything I can not to make eye contact with Riles. And lo and behold, I feel this 
hand on my shoulder, that Rouse hand behind me. I turned around and just that touch just made me like, I melted like a little kid again, yeah. you know? It pops. What's yeah, up, yeah. <laughs> I melted, man. And, you know, we had a great conversation. And what I really appreciate is them coming out to support, you know, Hank. And I know that they have battles as an agent yeah. over the years. And that meant a lot to me. But shortly after that, you know, when I went back to Cleveland, I was just there. And then I got a call. I remember getting a call. My phone ringing. It was, you know, a Leon Rose who took over, you know, to be my agent once, you know, Hank was sick towards the end. I got a call from my agent on trade deadline. I've never got a call from my agent around trade deadline. My phone has never rung. Yeah. I've never was worried about being traded. Never been through that process. Never been through that process. So when I seen my phone ring and I seen it was Leon, I was in the car headed to the arena because me and Brian had a little routine. We'd go eat before we get on the plane. We was about to go on a road trip. And I said to myself, I said, I'm about to get traded to Miami. You just knew I it. I just felt it. I felt like the storm was perfect. You know, like we like to say inside that that was my agent's last deal. He put us in wow. that room. That was his last deal. So once I got back to Miami, it was like, man, I'm back around my family. Really, my kids and everybody. I was back around my Miami Heat family. And I just felt that peace. For the first time in a while, I felt like this was it. This is where I needed to, to end this journey. Hey, what's going on? It's your boy, Karan Butler, uh, host of the Tough Juice podcast. And when I'm traveling all around the world, and doing numerous shows on multiple platforms, whether it's national or regional, I gotta always have my Saks underwear on. And I tell you what, it's all about being comfortable. And it's so important to be comfortable when you're on these platforms because you know, you're on the stage for probably four or five hours at a time. You may get a 10 minute break. And you know, when it get a little tight down there, man, it's uncomfortable, you know what I mean? So. You know, Saks Underwear, they're legit. They sent me a package about a month and a half ago. And it's the best experience I ever had, you know, from a comfort level. And once you go Saks, you never go back. So because I enjoy the Saks Underwear line so much, I've worked with Saks Underwear on this great limited time deal just for you. Right now, you can save 10% and get free shipping on a pair of Saks just by going to my special URL, SaxUnderwear.com slash Tough Juice. That's all caps. Order a few pair of Saks now with this great offer. Go to SAXXUnderwear.com slash Tough Juice. That's SAXX with two X's. Remember, SaxUnderwear.com slash Tough Juice. That's all caps. Whether you're on the treadmill, whether you're on the elliptical, or whether you're just playing a little pickup at the gym, this ballpark pouch will have you feeling extremely comfortable and I think that comfort is a huge part of fitness uh, so many times that you you know you put on tights and these different you know uh, equipments and uh, inventions and for numerous years I've always had you know situations where you had developed rashes or whatever the case may be once I slipped in my ballpark pouch I never slipped out Saks underwear it's a must-have how important was that? Did you want the farewell tour, or was it just something that just organically happened, like with the, the whole movement behind it? Because I saw the memorabilia. I saw, like, it seemed like everything just came together perfectly, and yeah. now all players are in search and seeking <laughs> that type of farewell tour. Listen, I am not. Let me, let me say this to camera. I am not that much of a narcissist <laughs> to believe that I can go through and have a fair wear tour. 
Like I am not. I don't believe that. You know, I'm not that. I'm not that guy. For me, I I wanted to retire after that year. My career started in Philly. My first game was against Iverson in Philly. Yes. When I my last game that year was in the playoffs versus Philly. I had a moment where I dri- dribbled the ball out, and I remember thinking, "This is how I was supposed to end it. Where I started, right? It's over." A lot of people gave me reasons why I should come back, and. I think ultimately for me, it was, you know what, a lot of guys don't get an opportunity to to say, hey, guys, this is it for me. You know, the NBA kind of pushes you out. Your age pushes you out. True. So I felt the responsibility to to do things for Iverson, didn't get a chance to call his out. Mm. Shaq didn't get a chance to call his out. Tracy, like all these great players. All-time greats. All-time greats. Didn't get a chance to say, hey, guys, like I'm going to go through this last season, this is it. So because I had that opportunity to do that, I eventually said, you know what, I'm not just doing this for myself. I'm doing this for so many others that didn't get this chance. And it turned into something that I never thought would happen. You know, I said, join me for one last dance, but I really didn't know that it was going to turn into like one last fucking long dance. Yeah. So I had no, and like you said, everything that happened, it just started happening organically. Only thing I wanted to accomplish in that last year is I didn't want to get hurt. On my way out. You wanted to be available. <laughs> wanted to be able to play most nights. I wanted to to go through the experience of going to play in the East Arena the last time. Um, I wanted to have, of course, I wanted to have fun. I wanted to pass some knowledge down to the next generation. And I wanted to do my jersey swaps. That's deep. And that's all I wanted to do, really. I just wanted to enjoy my last run. But it turned into just this, you know, big celebration of my career, like, every night. And it was it was very, it was overwhelming. Yeah. But it was a, I had a freedom in that year to just go out there and just, if I go 0 for 19 tonight, hey, I'm retiring. <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? But if I go, if I, if I get it in tonight and I score 35, it's just, I'm, hey, those feeling nights. good. You know, so I didn't have no pressure on me. I just went out there and enjoyed it. And, I, you know, the, the fans made my last season one for the record books. When did you start recognizing how large your platform was? Because I seen you on, I'll never forget, you, Chris Paul, LeBron, Carmelo Anthony taking the stage at the, the ESPYs Awards. And you're standing up there and you're talking about things that impactful in the community. And I was like, damn, that was deep. Like, I felt that. You know what I mean? Not so that, I, I, me personally, I, I know you as a person. So I know that came from the heart. And I was just like, damn, like, that was a deep moment right there. Did you know your impact globally at that time? Or was you still like... Yeah, I did. At that time, I did. I think when I first realized my my global impact was Trayvon Martin. Trayvon Martin, um, you know, when at that time the, the big three was, you know, we was it. We was the it in the world as a, as a, as a basketball team. And, and we took a stand. You know, we had that picture where we put the hoodies yeah. up. And at that moment, just the reactions from that, the calls, the interviews, the this, the that, was like, oh wait, like we, you really have an impact. Your voice really do matter, especially in your community. You can really create change by using your platform. And I think until that that moment, not a lot of athletes felt comfortable using their platform to talk about anything else but sports. Yeah. Right. And that's for me is when it changed and when I realized that my voice was powerful. That was major. When did you start going into the transition? Because 
when you're active, people tell you just to stick to basketball. Yeah. Now, now clearly, you, clearly, <laughs> you know, our, our era and our wave are totally different. Yeah. Like where we're doing multiple things, we're creating business and having ownership and equity in companies. We're not just taking paychecks. Right. So now, when did that transition happen for you where you was like, okay, I'm doing this, but I'm going to start preparing and getting that momentum for life after basketball? It started for me in 2007 when I got my shoulder injury. You know, when I hurt myself. You was in Houston? I was in Houston. I remember that. And I remember after that, um, I had I had to get, at the end of that season, I ended up coming back and playing, but at the end of that season, I had to get shoulder and knee surgery. And at that moment, I was like, what if I do not come back to be the Dwayne Wade that people have now come accustomed after winning the finals and winning finals MVP, have now be, become accustomed to seeing? What if this is it for me? So I started thinking different about after basketball because I realized at that moment that basketball was not going to be forever. It's something as simple as a going for a steal, something I do every time, just threw my shoulder out of place. And now I may not ever be the same player again, right? So I started thinking different around that time. And I remember talking to my agent about, man, I just, I need a team around me. I need people to kind of take some of my vision and bring things to me that I'm not even thinking of to help me create something bigger than like just this game of basketball. And, and I eventually built that and I eventually got it when I moved on to CAA and I built a team around me to kind of, you know, help me create, you know, Wade Inc. Right. And so it started for me way earlier <laughs> than, you know, most people would probably think. Yeah. You, look, you're a hub of so many things like, and we're going to get into them. You, know, you have your wine, you have your fashion stuff, you know, from the socks. Yes, sir. So many other things that you're doing, your shoes, everything. Like, are you just trying to be one-stop shop, or what are you creating <laughs> right now? Like, you and your queen, man. Like, Gabrielle doing everything also. Like, what are you trying, what do you envision for Wade, Inc. and collaboration with your wife? I mean, I know that is one entity, but what are you looking, What what is your vision for that? Yeah, man, I mean, I remember when I, when I was in this process, I, I sorted out Magic Johnson. Mm. And I just I went had a couple of meetings with Magic, and I was just trying to figure out what's the secret sauce, right? And I think the thing I took away from Magic was, hey, no idea is a bad idea. When you have a moment to yourself, think about what it is that you want to do. Write it down. When you write it down, send it over to the people that you pay good money to make it happen. And I started doing that. I remember I had this idea. I was like, man, you know what? I, I really love cool socks. I want to start my own sock company. Let me send it over to my team. They look at it like, oh, he crazy as hell. Yeah. I'm not about to start no sock company. Socks wasn't, no socks. Time, socks wasn't popping. Yeah. And months later, Stan's Dwayne Wade relationship starts and goes from there. So I think for me, man, a lot of it has just been through my experiences and my journey through life. I'm learning myself. I'm learning what I, what I love, what I want to do, what is my passion. Um, and I'm building it just really authentically off of the things that I like to see and the things that I like to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, and along the way, you know, I've, I've had opportunities that come to me of, of, of other brands and other things that kind of help all this keep growing. But for me, man, it's just, it's just, about, authentic, just about being authentic. And I think I'm trying to be that way just through this whole process. It's like I don't get behind things that I really don't know about and I don't believe in. Um, and so everything that I try to get behind is what... I use and what I do and who I am. And like wine, this is, if anybody know me, 
I'm a laid back, chill, cool, yeah, smooth, right? drink wine kind of person, right? So it was just for me, that was just another evolution into where I was going when I started that. I knew where my process was. I knew where I was going and what I was feeling. So this is kind of how you know I think about it. And I just try to keep going from there. What are some of the takeaways you learned going back to Harvard Business School? Yeah, man. That first of all, it was amazing. Shout out, shout out to Anita, my uh, professor at Harvard yes. Business School. She is amazing. Amazing. Um, I, the reason I went there is because I, I wanted, I needed to be inspired. I needed to to think about business in a different way. I needed to be around people who thought differently. So if you ever in, in a course in a class like that, you see how many people can look at one case study and how many people can come up with a different synopsis of this case study, right? So I needed to be to be in that kind of environment to start thinking about business th- different. And when we first came in, it was, hey, endorsement deal. You're the face of this and you have an endorsement deal and that's it. Sell the product. Sell the product. So now, as you know, when we're on this next, this next phase, it's about being owners, right? Yeah. It's about being owners of things. And so I needed to, to go to that to figure out how I was going to get to that point, how I was going to push my team to get to that point and what I needed to do. So that class was so important for me, man. It was big for my development as a businessman of going forward and trying to, you know, trying to make sure I'm always challenging us to be different um, and to be better um, and just think outside the box, you know? I remember going back myself after seeing you do the program, you, Chris Paul, some other guys, LLQJ, and I ended up inserting myself in the program. Now we got a handful of case studies. We got the one on Walt Disney, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, mm-hmm. the Seven Cents production. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also got uh, Shondaland. Oh, mm-hmm. Shonda Rhimes was amazing. And one. then one of the case studies that came across my desk, Dwayne Wade. <laughs> you are now a case study at the <laughs> University of Harvard. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Like, how crazy is that's that, crazy. bro? That's crazy, bro. Like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> like when you go there, it's like case study on Walt Disney, <laughs> and you keep going in alphabetical order, you're going to see Dwayne Wade. Like, what does that, like, that's some, deep, Some bro. things you just can't even really, you can't even really explain. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I remember going to, signing up for that class and, like, getting there and having my little dorm and getting all these case studies and, like, really, like, studying them, going through them. Never thought that I would be one of those case studies. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's, just, that's crazy. And I think Anita, she did a great job, and she still, she's a big part of our brand now. When we have deals that come up, we have anything, we send it to Anita. Hey, look this over. Check it out. Check this out. Give us, take it to the class. Give us a, think of, a different way of thinking about this. But... I never would have thought at that moment when I when I was in that class that I would be a case study at Harvard. You know what I'm saying? Um, but what I do know is I went there because of Brandon Marshall. First of all, Brandon Marshall, good friend of mine, reached out to me and said, "Hey, man, this, you know, I know you, you know, into your business. I think this would be great for you." And by me going there and doing and like doing stories on it, it allowed others to see what this class is about and allow others to say, "Hey, I'm going to sign up and I want to do that." So I'm just proud that I was able to be one of the people that kind of help other guys come and sign up and hopefully take something away from the, the course. You know what I mean? So, you know, but being a case study dog, come on, man. I'm from the industry. I'm from Robbins, <laughs> Illinois, from, from the south side of Chicago. How I got a case study in Harvard? That's that's deep, you bro. Know? That's major. It's cool, man. You have taken some time off, and I know that you inserted yourself front row 
in a, in a clean outfit, may I add. <laughs> he said, yeah, clean. man, you was fresh. You, the Miami Heat came here to play the Los Angeles Lakers. And you're chilling and you're courtside and you're watching the game. And you said for the first time, like, I know that I, I don't miss the game. Yeah. Like, I don't miss it. Do you genuinely feel that way? Like, you do not miss the game of basketball from a playing standpoint. And now you're comfortable with making this transition into now having your show and doing what you're about to do with Turner. 100%, bro. I, first of all, I thought real long and hard about walk, when I was when it was time for me to get to the, when I was getting to the end of my career. I thought real long and hard about walking away. Did you send your papers in yet? No, I said the man yet. But <laughs> we gonna get to that. Keep going. Keep Wait, going. Yeah. I ain't sent the man yet for other reasons. But it ain't about coming back to play. Yeah. What I but what I did want to see when when the, when the Heat came to town to play the Lakers was if I was gonna get that itch. You know what I mean? Like I can say all these things. Until I'm in that environment, I'm watching my former team play against my, you know, my guy yeah. on the other side. Your young fellow, almost, yeah. So I'm sitting there, nothing. Didn't miss I was it. Like a fan. The horn didn't go off, and you was like, nope. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel it. And I think I walked away from that game. I think that a lot of things that players think they're going, they're going to miss along this way is they're going to miss the the, the twenty thousand screaming their name. Right, they're gonna they're gonna miss that fanfare. Um, obviously, they're gonna miss those checks. You know, it's a lot of things that they're gonna miss about the game. You know, but I think for me, what I will miss is the things I talked about. It's those conversations. It's those locker rooms, that airplane. But on the court, I feel like I really gave everything that I needed to give. Like I gave my body to the game. I, you know, and I accomplished everything that if you if they give you a sheet of paper when you when you get drafted and say, hey. What do you want to do in your career? I would not have been able to put down as much as the things that I did accomplish. I wouldn't even thought that far to yeah. think that, I, oh, I want to be an all-star 13 times. Well, I want to be an NBA champion three times. Like, I would have never. So I accomplished way more than I ever thought I, I would. And I was okay walking away. I didn't feel like I left anything. Yeah. You know? You gave so it all. I gave it all, and I did it all. So I was like, I didn't leave anything behind, so I'm good. Bro, I, I totally agree with you. I know that you gave it all. And in my eyes and universally, I think that you're the top three two guard ever to play the game of basketball. And that's a hell of a, a, a list to be on, a short list. And when I think of the game of basketball, one, you cannot tell the, the story of basketball without mentioning you. And then two, Michael Jordan, Kobe that Bryant. That dude. And that dude I'm sitting next to right now. <laughs> the top three two guards ever played a game of basketball. Like, it's just crazy. And, and I always tell people the game changer for me, and I watched it in real time, was when Stan Van Gundy, Pat Riley stepped down, Stan Van Gundy gave you the ball, and he put it in your hand, and he said, I'm going to put this kid in a pick and roll. And I felt like the rest was history. I really did. Like, I've never seen no one navigate in a pick and roll. Like, split a double team, attack a big that has slow feet running at him. Or, if you just wanted to put a quicker guard on him, he exposed them in many ways. You know what I mean? Like, it was just, I was watching it and I kept coming, I kept going home. And that's when, you know, we had the next tail. I chirp everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, Oop. And they were like, yo, what up? I was like, dude, special. <laughs> I was like, yo. You got to watch us this year. They're like, man, ain't nobody watching the Heat. Y'all right. suck. Y'all 7 Y'all already like, I'm like, he coming. And when he come, we're going to 
we're going to rally behind him because we knew we had it. We knew we had something in you. So that has to make you feel special, man, like just to know that your imprint and your impact on the game of basketball. Yeah, I mean, hearing you say it, it, means, it sounds great coming from you. First of all, I can't say those things, right? <laughs> but, you know, and I remember, man, I remember my rookie year, you know, obviously coming into a team where record-wise it wasn't that good. Ooh. You guys had a tough year the year before, your rookie year. You being modest. Yeah, I'm being a little modest. <laughs> but you got to understand this, too. Like, Lamar Odom comes in. It's L.O. Karan Butler just come off of having an amazing rookie year. I mean, I'm talking about he get his 20, pop, 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 sit down. Y'all get beat by 30, but you get your 20 and sit down. <laughs> so I'm coming in, and I'm trying to find – we got Eddie Jones there, you know, shooting guard as well. I'm coming in, I'm trying to, like, figure out, like, where do I fit? You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to come in as a rookie and step on any toes at all. I got these guys who I respect and these guys who are very good at this game. And I remember when you got hurt. Yeah. You had to get knee surgery. That's when it changed for me because I had to now step up. You know what I'm saying? Like, at first – I didn't have to do much. I can let y'all kind of go get 20 Quran, Lamar, go get your 20. But then when you went down, I was like, oh, shit. Like, it's, it's, it's time for me to step up to my guy get back. Because yeah. I still wasn't like, this is my team. Yeah. I'm like, this is LO and Quran and Eddie team. But along the way, I think coach, the coaching staff, I think even my teammates start seeing, start seeing something in me. And I start seeing what I start feeling that love and that support from my teammates and everyone started pushing me forward a little bit. And I was like, wait, y'all, y'all want me to do it? Yeah. And it took me a little while to get comfortable with that. Like even to Shaq, and then Shaq comes. So after I get comfortable on that yeah. team, now we get Shaq and I'm like, well, back to, <laughs> back to the back seat. Back to the back. Like, no, stay Batman. You know? So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for me, man, it was just really like a lot of my confidence came from the guys that I was with. You know I mean? I give a lot of the guys that I play with that don't even know just that, you know, I give them love and for me becoming the player that I did, not because I didn't have the talent, but getting that support, I mean, giving a coach, like, man, Stan Van Gundy put the ball in my hand, like, yo, it's on you, kid. Take us there. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I messed up a lot of times. But just the fact that he allowed, that they trusted me enough, you know, and like that, my confidence just kept going like this and like this and like this. And my teammates, I never seen like a hate from my teammates that I was taking that step forward. I always felt supported in Miami. So that made me even more confident, you know? Yeah. So I appreciate you, you know, as well. Like as one of the veteran guys, man, to like, to say the things that you said. Like, I, f- I start feeling that when, when people's like, yo, he's special. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm special? Well, I'm special then, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it just started coming as people would say things or as I would do things on the floor. And I'm like, dang, like, wait a minute, this is the league and I'm, I'm doing that? Yeah. Okay. Let me try this. Oh, I did that. You was out there trying. Kinda, yeah, I'm just out there. <laughs> he gave me the ball. Yeah. So, you know, man, like, there's so many people that helped me get to that point, man, where I just was like, yo, I've arrived, and I'm one of the best in the game now. But it took me a little while to get there. So now, being retired and having this time to create, because I felt like you was like an artist out there on the basketball court. You was just creating, and we yeah, were just man. watching something beautiful happen. And now you're an artist in the world again. You got a ton of free time. How does Dwayne Wade spend his free time? Uh, well, I don't even know if it's free. Um, <laughs> I think for me, man, every day I try to get up at 6. I remember thinking, like, when I retire, I'm not getting up to 11. I ain't doing nothing. I'm chilling. I'm chilling. I done worked hard. We different, though. I get up at 6 a.m. every day. 
Um, and I try to, you know, as you know, I try to get me a workout in to start my day. Um, and then from there, I try to focus on, okay, how can I, I got to focus on family. So I got a one-year-old daughter, all right? I got to make sure I spend time and make sure I'm there, you know, before she take her naps. Um, you know, so for me, it's just like figuring out my kids' schedules, when I can be present, when I can support them, when my wife, how her schedule is, how can I be present, how can I support her? Oh, also, too, I need to keep building my business. So I got to make sure I build my schedules to make sure I build my business. So right now, man, like, it was a fear that I had for about 0.2 seconds that when I retired, I didn't know what I was really going to do. And I, I had deals. Yeah. I had, you know, I had all these things. But I'm like, what am I going to do every day? What are the things that's going to get me out of bed every morning and make me hit the ground running like I used to do when it comes to the sport? I didn't know if I was going to have that. I haven't even had time to stop and breathe and think about or get nervous about the next phase because the next phase came so fast, it's here. Yep. And I jumped right into it, you know? So I just put my head down right now, man. I'm just grinding and, and you know, I'm going to come up at about 50 and see where I'm at. <laughs> I, got, I told my team I got 13 more years to just grind. By the time I get 50, I better be a boss and I better be able to chill and pick my own schedule and get up at 11. You own it heavy. <laughs> you own it heavy. I'm going to grind. And you always say, like, and I'm glad you brought that up, where you wrote the book and you said that father first. You know, and everything is about family and, and the spending time with your family. So what's the most important thing about, you know, family to you? And, you know, what is the biggest thing as far as your legacy that you want to leave? Um, well, when it comes to family, man, you know, I have I have five kids that I'm responsible for. <laughs> and my job is to give them wings to fly, right? That's my job. My job is to give each and every one of them wings to feel like they can fly and, and they can be whatever they want to be in life and whoever they want to be in life. So I understand my position. I understand my job in their lives. And I try to I fall short, I'm of course, but I try, to, I try to do that. I try to learn each and every one of my kids and learn how I can help them fly, you know, on their own one day. And... I'm, and so I play a supporting active, uh, supporting active role in my in my wife's life. I, so my job is to support her in any way that she needs me to support her, right? Um, and at the same time, my job is to be a leader of my family too, right? So it's like I got all these different hats that I have to wear. And I'm not saying it is easy. It's days where I'm like, yeah, bro, <laughs> yeah. all this, but that's my legacy. My legacy ain't how many points I scored. You know, my legacy is not how many deals I'm able to create, how much money we have when, you know, my time is up. My legacy is, you know, how how much am I putting into my family? You know, how much am I showing them that I, that you are seen by your by me, that you can do this, that you can do that? How much am I putting them in the position to feel, you know, to feel loved, to feel comfort, to feel wanted, to feel supported, you know, by someone who's one of the most important people in their lives? That's my legacy, and that's what I. That's the hardest job I have, and I'm trying to be the best I can at, at it. You know, as the patriarch of your family, why is it so important for you to protect the family energy or any energy that come at your family? Well, I'm on the front line, man. You know, and until they take over the family, <laughs> this is my responsibility. No, I'm no on the doubt. front line, and I let them know. You know, first of all, just you know, even like Zaire. Zaire's playing basketball, right? Automatically, he's following in the footsteps of his dad. Yeah. The pressures that comes with that. Expectations. The expectations that comes with that. 
the opportunity that comes with that. It's a lot of different things that come with it. But it's my job, as much as I can, to let Zaire feel comfortable just to be a kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's okay to, to be a kid and not have to be an NBA All-Star right now. Yeah. Or to not even be a basketball player, period. Like, my job is to let him know that if we're going to play the game of basketball, this is the reason you're playing the game. You're not playing the game to live up to your dad expectations, to live up to the outside world expectations. You're playing the game because you're building habits. The game of basketball is going to show you how to be in, in, in life, right? It's going to show you how to be responsible. Mm. It's going to show you how to be on time. It's going to show you how to be a great teammate. The game of basketball, so if you, while you're playing it, these are the things I want you to get out of it. If you become good at it, that's great. If you don't become good at it and you move on to something else, that's great. It doesn't matter from that standpoint. So it's important for me as a leader of my family is, you know, and I'm still growing and I'm still learning. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it's important for me that they understand and know from me, you know, wh- how they should be and what they, sh- and, and what they need to, to think about through this process. And I'll just use Zaire's example because, you know, he's playing the same sport that I play, yeah. you know. How important has sports been for you? I'm glad you brought that up because uh, some of our past guests we had on, it was uh, Master P, we had uh, Kristen Leahy, and some other individuals that came, Rick Ross, and he came on and they was talking about sports and how they gained like, the discipline through sports that nice. helped them function seamlessly in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, how to be the first man on the bench, or uh, a starter, uh, being a starter role, or a supporting cast member, or whatever the case. How has that helped you transition into you know real life because you've been in the sports world for so long and obviously that's different than what we are now accustomed to in real life it's totally different yeah I mean it's so you know kind of some of the things I I just named I mean first of all my journey through this sports world hasn't been Dwayne Wade the future Hall of Famer yeah I've been I've played every role on the basketball team I've played ass back get your ass back (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> right I played cheerleader on the sideline not getting no time like and I it's a conversation I have with my son it's like you know I didn't get here just because I woke up and got here yeah. I played every role hey your job is going in 94 feet guard that's it played that role so for me I've learned how to I learned how to be I learned how to play and like I learned how to be more than just a superstar Right, I learned how to be so versatile through the game of basketball that it helps me be versatile in my in my regular life. Because I don't know just one way; I know every way. So I'm able to adapt because I've always been able to adapt in my sport. And like one of the one of the the biggest lessons I learned early on, and I talk about this in my documentary that's coming out. Um, I talk about someone who's important to me is my assistant coach, Gary Adams in high school. Mm-hmm. And one thing he taught me. He taught me about responsibility. He taught me about respecting other people's time. And the way he did that is when he came to me and asked me, did I want to be great? And I said, yes. And he asked me what I would do to be great. And I said, anything. He gave me, he set out a path and said, these are the things that you need to do. And, these are, and, and it started with, hey, I'll be at your house every morning at 8 o'clock. I will pick you up to take you to the gym in the summertime. I need you to sacrifice your summer with your friends to be in the gym with me but I need you to be on time every time. If you late one time, I'm gonna hit that horn one time. If you ever late, I'm never coming back. 
So wow. it taught me responsibility. It taught me about respecting those people's time. It taught me about sacrifice. Early on, I learned all these things that I needed when it got to this level or other levels, right? So all these things that basketball taught me, man, is what I use in life, you know? It's life lessons. Yeah. Ultimately, when you look back at the legacy of Dwayne Wade and you obviously include your family because you take them with you, you've elevated all of them. What do you want to be remembered as and for? Man, I think that I think that's forever evolving. Yeah. You know, I think when I was when I was young, I had one answer, and when I got older, I had another answer. I think for me, man, is you know, you know, when you grow up and they say the sky's the limit. You know, like I really believe that if you believe that you can accomplish anything, understand it is not going to be easy, but understand that you can actually accomplish anything if you put your mind to it. So for me, man, I'm still growing. I'm still figuring out like who I am and like where I want to where I want to be at the age of 37. So I don't know what my legacy is going to be at the end of the day. When it comes to my family, all I care about is that my family understands, you know, that they was loved, they were supported and, I, and that, that I saw them, you know what I mean? And I did whatever I could to make sure that, you know, that they had wings to fly. Everything else, whatever I do, I hope I inspire people. You know, I hope I inspire a little kid right now in the inner city of Chicago to want to be greater. Hope I inspire them to want to be a businessman. Like I do understand my position and my platform to inspire others, but ultimately my legacy for me is really, it really lays in the hands of my family and how, you know, I can help them become the best at whatever it is they're going to do and be the best people and persons that they're going to be. What is next? What do you want to venture off into next? I mean, you oh, got so many you. things, I need to bro. ask you. Don't act like we, we're not going to sit here and act like I'm the only one that got a lot of things going on. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down with my vet, have some wine. First time we sat down, we probably had some Kool-Aid. It's the Kool-Aid. This time we're going to so have some wine. Too much sugar. Too much sugar. You had a straw last time we sat down. We're going to sit down with a cigar. And we're going to talk about it. Because for me, man, I'm always inspired by the others that's doing great things as well. Like, I don't have all the answers. And there's so many people that, you know, that I look up to and that inspire me. So, you know what I mean? What's next is just continue to learn and continue to grow. You know what I mean? Like right now, man, like for me, I, I'm in therapy because not because like I feel like <laughs> I'm crazy. People think therapy means crazy. Yeah. Ther- therapy is so many different things. So for me, I'm trying to learn myself. I'm trying to better myself. Uh, I'm in speech therapy. I'm trying to learn how to, you know, pronounce my words better. I'm trying to know, learn how to be you know, a better public speaker. You know, all these things. Like, I'm trying to be the best version of Dwayne Wade that I can be, and I'm just about putting in the work. So all I know is I don't know what's next, but I know I'm going to put in the work. I love that. This is my last thing for you, and I know that you touched on it. You said that you did not send in your retirement papers. Oh, here you go. Here you go. You did not send, one, why didn't you send in your retirement papers yet? It's political. Okay. So you haven't, <laughs> sent, you haven't sent your retirement papers in yet. So, in my eyes, I think that the Lakers are in a great position to realistically win a championship. I agree with you. Okay. The one thing that they're missing is someone that could consistently do exactly what you bring. Off the bench, no ego involved, 
that can be consistent in that space, that can have that leadership, that can rally the second unit and bring them to the promised land. If by any chance, come February or March, and you feeling and looking how you looking, would you entertain the thought of coming back and playing here where you don't have to travel? <laughs> You're already here in LA. <laughs> You're funny. Would you play? No. I'm done with that chapter. You know, I get, listen, Jimmy Butler hits me all the time. Tell me, hey, come on back to Miami. Number two in the East. (laughs) Hey, I talked to him the other day. He said, hey, hey, we we ready for you. But for me, man, and I appreciate that. And do I feel like I can still play in the game? Yeah, I feel like I can still. I feel like I can't help a team if if I put my mind to it. But once I decided to walk away, once I decided to retire, then that was it for me. Um, So I actually, that chapter is closed for me. I'm moving on to this next next side of my life. Because somebody that really love you, like myself, Convince you. <laughs> no, I like wine too much. <laughs> I like to enjoy the other fruits of life too much. To, I, my lungs, I like cigars and, you know, so forth. So, no, man, y'all don't want to see that. No one wants to see that. You know, I, I feel like a lot of people think about that because guys like Jordan came back. and You see Jason Witten came back in football, which was crazy. He came back in football. But for me, like, I thought about this long and hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I already have my Leave Miami I can't. You know what I mean? Like, I already yeah. had that. I went to Chicago for it was, a year. It was, you know what? And I compare that to this. Kobe had the 60, and he left. It was like, mic drop. I'm out. Mom out. Mom out. And to me, you created an experience for fans, for, I don't think it would ever happen again for anyone that perfectly. Like, so your experience with the, the Wade Tour, the the whole last dance thing, that was like Michael Jordan shot in Utah. Man, listen, so, man, listen, MJ, love him. He's my guy, favorite player. That's, that was the ending. That was the, like, perfect ending. That was the ending. You don't touch that. But, obviously, he still had more love for the game that he wanted to give out. But, man, that was the, the perfect, he, he had the perfect canvas, and he painted it perfect. For me, and everybody's out is, man, I love to go out like Peyton Manny or MJ on that shot. Or, everyone don't get that kind of ending. Yeah. But in my ending, perfect ending. I'm not about to go mess that up because I, you know, because 12 minutes a game somewhere that I'm not wanted. <laughs> but let me, lock, let me walk in the locker room and I'm like, oh, not this, not this thing with this ego. Yeah, that's why, I, that's why I'm interested to see uh, Coming to America too. It's my favorite movie, by the way. I know. So why do a part two? Listen, I don't know why, but I'm cool with it because I'm going to go it watch better, it. It better be just as funny I got and conf- just as good. Well, the, first, the thing is, that's so leg- legendary of a movie. We cannot compare two to one. You, that's a tough comparison, right? But I think we got to love two for what two will be. And I think too many people get into this whole comparison thing, i.e. Michael Jordan versus LeBron James versus Magic Johnson versus yeah. all these great players. Respect them for what they do. Yeah. Love them for what they brought to you, the joy they brought to you. Stop comparing everybody. You know what I mean? Like, everybody is different. And everybody has brought something different to your life and to the game. Respect that. Let's stop comparing everything, even though it would never stop. Yeah. But I don't understand it. I'm just happy to see Eddie back. I'm happy to see Eddie back. Man, listen, let me tell you, one of my favorite, you know, I don't, I don't really get into, like, this whole starstruck thing. Yeah. Like, since I met Denzel my rookie year, I was kind of cool after that. Yeah. But... I got All-Star Weekend LA, the last one. 
I, me, my wife, and Kevin Hart, his wife, was all going to go to dinner together. You know, hey, let's, let's, let's catch up. Kevin calls and says, hey, you guys mind if, uh, you know, uh, no, my wife called and Kevin and said, hey, you mind if, uh, if Chris uh, Rock come to the dinner? You know, Chris is a good friend. They said, yeah, Chris <laughs> Rock come to dinner, cool. Bet. Get another call. Kevin, hey, you mind if Dave Chappelle come to dinner? Oh, man. Hell yeah. All right. Another call. Kevin, hey, you mind if Chris Tucker come to the dinner? I say this is about to be epic. Hey, last call. You mind if Eddie Murphy come to dinner? I say, man, listen. God, Hold you know, up. God, I didn't made it. <laughs> I didn't made it. It was an amazing, amazing dinner, man. And I like, remember that me, picture they had, too, uh, afterwards. Y'all, took y'all, a yeah, yeah. Usher came special. to the dinner. That's crazy. Um... It was special, but for me, I was in that room with some of the best comedians ever. And Eddie Murphy is the number one. He can everything he says is funny. When he say hi, you laugh. He's the funniest <laughs> human being in our time. And I got the opportunity to see him before he came back on on the screen, man. And I just like I was like, man, I hope Eddie come back and do his Eddie. And now he's back, dog, and I'm loving it. So. That that's, my, that's my starstruck moment, and it happened about 35. I was 35 years old. That would have happened to anybody. Yeah. Did, you, did any food get eaten at the dinner? Oh, he ate everything. Now, I don't even remember who paid. <laughs> Probably Eddie, because he got way more money than all of us. <laughs> but I remember <laughs> you're sitting there, you're like, well, who going to like, Anybody could. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, everything did, man. And it was, and like when I say literally, it was the funniest dinner I've ever been a part of, because everybody there... It's just funny in their own right. And any story they tell, but Eddie's stories is legendary. And his voices he able to do. You know what I mean? He's able to talk like so many different people that makes him just stands out, stand alone, you know? That's special, man. Yeah. Dang. Just, just like this. Like, for me, this is special in numerous ways. Uh, seeing you, just how you evolved, some of the discussions that we had in the past. And I know we don't talk every day, but whenever I text you or whenever I reach out to you, I feel like our energy and our momentum has never changed. Never. You know, and I knew that immediately that we would be friends long after basketball just because you got it. You understood what it was all about. And, you know, I'm proud of you. I love the way that you handle the world, you know, and, you know, I appreciate your friendship, brother. Man, Thanks listen, for coming on, man. Thank you, bro. Yeah, appreciate Tough it. Tough Juice Podcast. <laughs> My guy. Salute. <laughs>